So, good morning. We're going to start with our, with our prayer for the things that you've raised. And um, now look at Philemon. It's a little letter, just one chapter, that Paul wrote to a guy called Philemon. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So, let's, uh, let's start with the prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus to thank you for him. To thank you for your son and for that great salvation that is in him. And we do really pray that he will come soon so that there might be peace. And as we thought about, we pray that there will be peace somehow in Ukraine, uh, even in our lifetime and in the whole situation there. And we pray for those true believers who are living in those affected areas that you will be with them and bless them. And we pray, Father, that you will open our eyes to your word, that we might see you, that we might see your Son, that we might be filled with your Spirit. We pray that each of us will surrender ourselves completely to you, and that you will use us. And we thank you for those who have been baptized this week. We pray for those thinking about baptism, that they will come to it and commit themselves to a total surrender to you and to your Son, to your ways, to the way of your kingdom. And we pray, Father, that you'll bless the outreach you're doing at the, at the venue this week. We pray that by all means we might be able to be used by you in some small way. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Right, so I'm going to read the uh, story to you. And uh, then we'll, we'll think about it. So, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So he's in prison in Rome when he's writing this. And Timothy, our brother to Philemon, our beloved and fellow worker, Matthew, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. There's no archaeological evidence of any church buildings from the first century. They met in each other's houses. Right? So, this guy Philemon has got a church in his house, and he is presumably the, uh, the uh, head of a family, and he's got slaves, and he's got a uh, big family, he's a wealthy guy, Afio, I suppose, is probably his, his wife, so he's got a house church, and Paul's writing to him, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank my God, always making mention of you in my prayers, hearing of the love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Now, a saint is a special person, a special one. And we're all saints. The saints are the believers. So the stuff about, oh, Saint Paul, oh, Saint, Saint Bernard. Yes, but we're all saints. There's no hierarchy. There's no, like, all, you know, all these different levels and layers of people or whatever. God is treating all of us as special people. You're welcome. Please, uh, please come and take a, take a seat. <laughs> so, he says, you, Philemon, are a very good man. Um, you love all the believers. My prayer is that our fellowship with you as believers will bring about a deeper understanding of every blessing which we have in our life in union with Christ. Already I have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, our brother. So, this guy is generous to the brothers and sisters in Christ. Although I have all boldness in Christ to command you to do what is required, I prefer to appeal to you for love's sake. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. 
I appeal to you from my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So Paul is in prison, but he's still bringing people to Christ, and he's brought to Christ a guy called Onesimus. He was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. He is at my very heart, and it is he whom I have sent back to you. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent, so that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, Receive him into your home as you would me. So, Paul has baptised a guy while Paul is in prison. Right? And the guy's name's Onesimus. But it turns out this guy's a runaway slave. He's a slave who has run away from his master, who is called Philemon. And strangely enough, this Philemon had been baptised by Paul. What a coincidence, but there's no random, there's no coincidence in our lives. That's have been really weird. Now there's Paul in prison, preaching away, baptizing the guy, and what do prisoners do? They ask each other, what did you do? Where are you from? Oh, the guy tell I'm a runaway slave. Oh, yeah. yeah, my master was a guy called Philemon, I'm from such and such a town. Philemon. I baptized him, he's a Christian. Wow. What a coincidence, I know the guy. So, coincidences don't happen. So that's what happened. And so now Paul's baptised him, and now the guy's free to leave prison. And Paul says, I want you to go back. I'd rather you stayed here and helped me, because it's pretty rough being in prison. Um, you, need someone, you needed someone to help you, it was outside. Bring your food, run your messages. But he says... I don't want to do that. I want you to go back to Philemon and reconcile with him and then come back to me. So he's writing this letter to Philemon. You know? This guy I've baptised, I know he's your runaway slave, I want you to accept him and send him back to me. But if he's wronged you at all or owes you something, put that on my bill. He nicked something, right? He stole something. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay any debt, even though you owe me your own self. That's why I say that Paul had converted Philemon. Because he says, you owe me your eternity. You owe me yourself. Your very soul, you owe to me. Because Paul had converted Philemon. Yes, brother, let me profit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. I write to you having confidence in your obedience, knowing you will do what I ask. But meanwhile also prepare for me a logic like a pedal. For I hope that through your prayers I shall be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, meets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So, that's a story. Now, Paul's in prison. He's uh, baptised a guy called Philemon years ago in another town, Paul is now in Rome, in prison, 
And then into the prison comes this fellow called Onesimus. Oh, what are you here for? I'm a runaway slave. Oh, preaches the gospel, baptizes him. Where are you from? Oh, I'm, I'm the slave of a guy called uh, Philemon. What? Philemon? I baptized him. Yeah. Oh, so the guy's sentence finishes. Ah, shall I stay and help you in Rome? Yes, but first of all, go back to Philemon and reconcile. And here's a letter to take with you. Now you see, it's a really delicate situation. Talk about difficulty in relationships. Difficult. So, let's go further. Paul, a prisoner of Christ. You could say, I'm a Roman prisoner. I'm a prisoner of the Romans. But he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. So, he must have been very frustrated because he'd been a missionary, he'd been travelling around, he was a free spirit, and now he's stuck in prison. But he accepts that that is of Christ. I'm actually a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And so, it's the same with us. We all resent the ties that bind. We all wish that we had a better situation. People say, I wish I lived in another country. I wish I had more money, then I could be a better Christian. I wish my partner was a believer. I wish I didn't have to spend all my time at work. I wish I lived in a better environment. Then I'd be a better Christian. But what's a great example of making the most of what you've got? And he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. I do this for him. And he says, uh, I'm writing uh, me and Timothy to Philemon, my fellow worker. And... I'm writing to Afia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier. How many times he used this idea of my fellow worker, my fellow soldier? Right at the end, he says, um, my fellow prisoner, my fellow workers. If you arrange Paul's letters chronologically, and in the English Bible they are arranged just by length. In the Russian Bible, for example, the order of the letters in the New Testament is different to that in the English Bible because they have arranged them chronologically. So, as you read through Paul's letters chronologically, and I never did this until I read the Bible in Russian, actually, you see that he uses more and more the idea of my fellow, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, my fellow prisoner. So over time, he comes more and more to see that I need other people. And I think that's typical, because when he started, he, he pushed off on his own for three years, he says, um, and then he went on a missionary journey, and a fallout with, uh, with Barnabas, they had a row, went his own way, and I think as you, go, as you mature, the sign of spiritual maturity is that you do see your need for your brothers and sisters. So, he says to them, grace to you, grace to you, Philemon. Now, grace means an undeserved gift. It means that God has given us something for nothing. Just straight up. Without any expectation. And that's unusual because with us, we are used to a gift always having some price tag attached. It is the cheese in the mouse trap. Nobody gives you something for nothing. You know, the West want to help Ukraine, yeah, but they expect, they expect something. Right. 
Nobody just gives a pure gift. Even in family relationships, you love, but you expect something back. Whereas with God, there is this purity of giving. I give straight up, straight out, because I like giving, because I love. So, he says, I want you to have this grace. Because he's going to ask Philemon to forgive Onesimus for running away, stealing whatever he stole, and have him back. He said, I always make mention of you, verse 4, in my prayers. He says that, Paul says that to all the people he writes to. He says, I'm praying for you all the time. He says it, all the Ephesians, Corinthians, Philemon, Titus, the whole lot of them. Philippians. So his whole life was spent in prayer for other people. And there's something to take away. How much of your prayer life, and how much do you pray anyway, um, how much of it is about me? Help me, give me, give me. And how much is it for other people? So he says, I hear of all your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, all the special ones. And he's saying, yeah, there's one believer, that's Onesimus, that you've also got to love now. You've got to forgive him and accept him. Well, why did slaves run away? When you read about slavery, a huge factor in the Roman uh, Empire, Roman culture, slavery was everywhere. People bought somebody, you are mine. You are not a person, you're an object, you're a thing, and you are to work for me, you are to do what I want. I bought you. So you're mine, you're just a machine, you're going to do whatever I tell you, you have no rights, you can complain about me. I have bought you and you're going to do what I'm telling you. Right? Why did slaves run away? 90 something percent of slaves that ran away ran away because of abuse. Slaves ran away because of abuse. If you had a good master, you didn't need to run away. A good master would look after you and uh, be nice to you and when you got old, he would uh, look after your medical issues, give you somewhere to live in his big household. But if he's a bad master, you run away. So, here you have the whole story. Philemon is this uh, good brother who uh, runs a house church, and he's a wealthy guy, and he's very kind to all sorts of people, to all the saints. But, that you can conclude he abused Onesimus. It could have been sexual, could have been making him work too hard, could have been just taking out his anger on this guy. I don't know. But I think you can safely conclude that a slave only ran away because of abuse. And okay, when he ran away, he probably stole something. Because how's, how's a guy going to live? You know? He's a runaway slave, he ran away to Rome. A long way away. <laughs> and it's a difficult one, isn't it? And Paul is very positive about Philemon. You go and preach in prison, you meet all sorts of people who have done terrible things. And they're in prison for abuse, violence. And yet, when you talk to these people, you get to know them, you also see they've got a lot of good, good points to them. 
But they've done what they've done. And it's very easy to focus on a person's one bad point, one bad sector of their life, and judge them. Oh, you're totally evil. You abused a child. You are the pits. You are just evil. Of course this is evil. But you see how Paul looks at this Philemon as, I think God looks at us, of a whole person. And yes, there are these black sectors, let's say, these bad sectors in the world. But he sees you overall and he also recognizes the good in you. It's a great comfort. But he says, my prayer is that our fellowship with you will bring about a deeper understanding of every blessing which we have in our life in union with Christ. So he's saying, I hope that you come with a deeper understanding, Father. Because of our union with Christ. That's alluding to baptism. Because when you're baptized into Jesus, you make this union with Christ. You go into the water like death with Jesus. You come up out of the water like resurrection with Jesus. That's why we're going to baptize George uh, after, uh, after the, our service here. Um, uh, so I encourage all of you to be baptized if you haven't been, to make that union with Christ. And he, he says that because you've got that union with Christ, you're going to go on to a deeper understanding of how blessed you are. So he says, yeah, it's great that you've refreshed the hearts of the saints, that yes, you do a lot of good work for people. As I say, he's acknowledging the good in the guy. But he says, verse 10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So while Paul was in prison, he preached. And if you preach to somebody and you baptize them, they become your child. And that is the greatest thing you can do for anybody. You may have physical kids, but you know how they're going to turn out. They might end up lying in a, in a gutter with a needle in their arm. They might whatever. You don't know. Because everyone's got free will. But if you can bring someone who was an unbeliever to Jesus Christ, and they're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever because of you, even if you only do that for one person, that's a huge, hugely significant thing that you look up. And he says, this person is my child. He talks about Timothy like that, my child in the faith, Timothy. But this is what gives you meaning. Not how successful you are in a career, not how much money you manage to make, not what sort of house you end up having, not what sort of holidays you end up having. No, that's all nonsense. What matters is relationships. That's, that's what matters. And if you can bring one person to that eternity, they are your child. And that is an eternal relationship because we're going to die be resurrected when the Lord returns and resume our lives together. Wow, and this is my child forever. So he preached, and in the first the Philippians, he says that actually a lot of the Roman soldiers had been baptized. And he says, even the guards of Caesar have been baptized. How? Because we're told Paul was chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. 
So they would have taken it in turns, maybe eight hour shifts, to just have the chain on you. So he was chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. And they would have changed. I guess eight hour shifts. And he preached to the Roman soldier. What do you do if you're chained to a guy? But you preach to him, right? If you're a Christian. And one by one, those guys got baptized and they spread the gospel in the, uh, even he says to the Philippians, in Caesar's, amongst Caesar's guards. There were Christians amongst Caesar's guards. And incredible. He goes on in another place to say, when well, he's writing to the Romans, that there were some believers in Caesar's household. Those soldiers took the message to other people who were within Caesar's household. All from a guy who's in prison. And there we are, thinking, oh, poor me, I can't do anything, I, I'm limited by my situation. So was Paul. But he still manages to do something. A lot. So, he says, he was once unprofitable to you. He was an unprofitable servant. There's one other time when you read about an unprofitable servant. And it's when Jesus says that even if we have done all that we can, we are all unprofitable servants. And the unprofitable servant shall be cast into darkness. We're all unprofitable servants. We all deserve to be fired and to be destroyed. That's what they did. If they bought a servant, bought a slave, and he wasn't any good, they just either killed him or chucked him out into the darkness. You're useless. So he's saying to Philemon, yeah, understand that you consider that this Onesimus was an unprofitable servant. But actually, so are we all. And here you get it, that how God has treated us, that I'm a useless, unprofitable servant, that means I should be patient as someone else, who is useless and unprofitable. So Paul says, he, Onesimus the slave, he's at my very heart. My heart is with him. How you treat him is how you treat me. As I said, I would have liked to keep him with me in order that he might serve me. Now, earlier he says, verse 10, I appeal to you for my child of essence. Appeal for someone else. This is this uh, from the Greek family of words, parakletos, parakletos, etc. I intercede to you. And it's the word used about the Lord Jesus who intercedes for us. So, in heaven, you know, God is real. Jesus is real. And in heaven, Jesus is talking to God about you and me. And he appeals. He begs. God, will you please be patient with Duncan? Will you please help him? Please just I'll forgive him what he's done. Just be patient with him a bit more. We have an advocate, uh, this Paracletus, this appealer in heaven, who is Jesus. And now Paul says, I appeal to you, Philemon, for this person, Onesimus, for this slave who sinned, basically. He's run away from me, even though you abused him. He's run away and he's nicked stuff from him. 
So the point is that as Jesus has been our advocate, our interceder in heaven, we are to do this for other people. So all the time we are motivated by what he has done for me. If I've got this Jesus in heaven who is interceding for me, then I should do that for someone else. And that is what, that is what uh, Paul is doing here. And he goes further because he says, I want this slave to serve me. But he's a slave of Philemon. And Philemon had bought him, so he's mine. And Paul says, no, I want him to be mine. In other words, I want him to change masters and to be mine, my slave, to serve me in the gospel, not yours. And so he hints that he'll pay for that. You see, verse 18, if, he's, if he owes you anything, put that on my bill. I poured one with my own hand, I swear, I will repay the debt, even though you owe me your own self. So Paul is saying, I will pay you whatever money you need, so that this guy is accepted by you and becomes my slave. Now, there was in the Roman Empire the principle of what they called manumission, which meant that you could buy someone out of slavery. You paid money, and this slave is free, because you paid money. And Paul alludes to this all the time when he says that we have been redeemed and given freedom. And the price that was paid was the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, that's what happened to every one of us. We were slaves to sin, but Jesus paid all this money so that we are our slavery. And as he says in Romans 6, when you're baptised, you change masters. I'm now a servant of Jesus, not of sin any longer. And so, that's what had happened to Paul, and he's doing this now, reading between the lines, he's doing this for... This Onesimus, who has sinned, he's, he's run away, he's stolen stuff. Whether that was justified because he'd been abused is another question, but he had sinned, he had done wrong. Now, under Roman law, there was a lot of laws about runaway slaves. If you ran away and you were a slave, your master had the right to kill you if he got hold of you. He had the right to kill you, he had the right to punish you, to break your legs, etc. But the law said, if the slave is sorry, if he's penitent, you should reduce the suffering. Here there is no talk about whether or not Onesimus is repentant. Paul doesn't say, oh, by the way, he's very sorry about it, he's very penitent, he's repented. No, none of that. He says, because I'm Paul, and because I brought you to Jesus Christ, and you better respect me, and because I'm older than you, I'm an old man, and because you owe me your soul, I'm just telling you, you've got to do this. Have him back, no punishment, no question about repentance, I'm Paul, and I'm telling you. And if you, there's money involved in this, I'll pay it, no problem. <coughs> So, you see what, what's going on? 
Paul has been telling everyone that, yeah, we are redeemed out of slavery and given freedom because of the blood of Jesus, because he bought me. And he's referring to this manumission, to this buying of a slave out of slavery. He's saying, well, that happened to me. I'm going to do exactly the same for somebody else. Now, this is the point, and this is our motivation. That if you really know that you are a sinner, that you are worthy only of death, but wow, I was living in slavery, but I have been bought out of that. Wow, I'm free by the huge cost of the blood of Jesus. Then I will try and redeem someone else out of their slavery. You can't be passive to this. You see, if we are sure that we will be saved, that if I die from a heart attack standing here, or the Lord Jesus returns right at this minute, Will I be saved? Will I live forever? What's going to happen? Will I die? The Lord comes. We should be able to say, 100%, by His grace, yes, I will be saved. 100%, I will be saved. Now, I've been brought out of slavery with a huge cost. Well, I'm going to, do, I'm going to reflect that to someone else. That is such a wonderful thing. That's not just an idea, an abstract sort of idea. That is absolute reality. And if I have got that, wow, I can't be passive. What can I do? I want to do something. But what you can do is to do that in essence for somebody else. To bring them out of their slavery to eternity. And that's what he's... And to help someone here, as Paul is trying to do in this practical uh, situation, to bring somebody out of their slavery and to bring them to uh, change their master. So, he says, verse 14, well, I could have just uh, kept him with me, but I didn't want to do this without your agreement, so that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but for your free will. Now, that is what, there's two seats, uh, there's two seats here, by the way. Thank you. So what God wants is not that we should serve God by compulsion, but by free will. Paul says, puts it another way, he says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Let love be sincere. It's like, here we are in a pub. Let's say someone comes in and says, oh, we're just having a special collection for, um, I don't know, some sort of... Um, charity or kids in need or something, and the collection bag goes round, and you all put in your five quid, and it comes to me, and all eyes are on me, well, I've got to put a five in, right? Because you all did. Then it goes to Uncle Morris, so it goes to Gemma. Well, you kind of got to put something in, haven't you, except one thing. Now, that's not generosity. That's what he calls compulsion. And our good deeds should not be by compulsion that I have to. But of our own free will that I consciously decide to do this. Then he says, verse 15, what a strange thing. Maybe he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. But he has said that uh, well, when he comes back, I want you to reconcile and send him back to me. What does he mean, that you might have him forever? I think he's saying that you two, who've got a difficult relationship, let's face it, that Philemon had abused Onesimus and Onesimus had stolen from 
Philemon and a run away. Very difficult relationship. You know what? You two are going to live together forever. And this is one of the wonderful things about salvation. That relationships which in this life are impossible. That somehow we shall be changed and we shall live together forever. Now in this case, you could say there's no, there's a no-hoper. That is the boss, Philemon, who's a bit of a hypocrite, big hypocrite maybe, who had abused, it seems to me, Onesimus, so Onesimus ran away, but Onesimus went and nicked a load of stuff and he ran away. How are they going to get together? Forever. Only. And the reconciliation of relationships may not necessarily happen in this life in practice, because I think that's why Paul says, look, go back, make it up, but send Onesimus back to serve me in Rome. Because you two living together in this world, you know, no, ain't going to quite work. But you will have each other forever in God's kingdom. And so he says, look, 17, receive him into your home as you would me. He says to the Romans, receive one another as God for Christ's sake has received you. Again, the basis of our attitude and relationship to other people is on the basis of what God has done for me. He should not receive us. The wages of sin is death. You sin, bang, you should die. Alive every single second by his grace. By his grace alone. And so God has received me by grace, I should receive you. And so receive him into your home as you would me. But at the end of the letter, he says to Philemon, verse 22, prepare for me a lodging, prepare me a bedroom, because I hope that through your prayers I will be restored to you. Funny phrase to use, restored. Paul will be restored. I think what he's saying is, uh, well, by your prayers, I might be let out of prison and I might come to see you. But Philemon is me, and I am Philemon. Sorry, Onesimus is me, and I, Paul, I, I am Onesimus, and Onesimus is me. Please prepare a bedroom, because I am coming to you. And he means, Onesimus is coming to you. He's me. He's my brother. This is the, the unity that is possible of true Christian fellowship. That my brother, my sister is me, and he or she is me, and I am them. And how you treat them is how you treat me. So he's saying, prepare me a bedroom, a lodging place in your house, because I'm coming to you soon while he's in prison. What he means is, for sure, maybe I will physically come, but for sure, Anastasis is going to come, and that's me. Well, he says to him, Look, if he owes you anything, put that on my bill. Verse 19, I write this in my own hand, I'll repay his debts. Even though you owe me your own self, so you've got two debts. He's saying, look, Philemon, I brought you to Jesus Christ. You therefore have a debt to me of your own soul. You owe me eternal life. You owe me everything. And this guy owes you a little bit of money? There's nothing. All right, if it's such a big deal to you, I'll pay it. But you owe me plenty more. And of course, this is the parable that Jesus told about the two debtors. There's a guy who's got a massive debt, and his master says, okay, I'll forgive you. 
And this guy gets hold of another fellow who owes him just a few pennies and says, pay me what you owe me or I'll put you in prison. Paul's alluding to this. Definitely. He's saying, you, Philemon, okay, this guy owes you a bit, but it's nothing compared to what you are. Now, how can we get it together in relationships? How can we find forgiveness? How can we find the power to forgive? How can we find the grace? So basically, have relationships with anybody. It is only insofar as we know that we have been forgiven by grace, and I have got a massive debt that I cannot possibly pay, but it has been forgiven. Oh, you owe me? You owe me 10 quid? What's that? Nothing. Compared to my incalculable debt that I have. And also, practically, I think you see there that if you bring someone to Jesus, wow, they owe you everything. Spiritual sense. And this gives you significance. And there's man's search for meaning. What meaning can I have in this life? Even if you make all the money there is to make, even if you become famous and you've got everything. And search for meaning. People turn to drugs, they still shoot heroin, they still commit suicide, and they got everything. But that's not the answer. What gives meaning to life and human experience is actually only what you do for someone else. And in this case, someone is going to be eternally grateful to you. This is why I pray every day, on my knees, in the evenings, that... I will have meetings with people, at least one person, whom I can help to Jesus Christ, whom I can help to eternity. And you can all pray that. You can all pray that. That you can find at least somebody who you can bring to eternity. So he says, look, if he owes you anything, put that on my bill, I'll pay it. I'm not worried about it. Verse 20, yes, brother, let me profit from you. See the contradiction? He's saying, look, I'll give you a blank check. Whatever this guy owes you, I'll pay it financially. Yeah, here's my, here's my credit card. You can tap it where you want. Uh, and I will profit from you. By giving you profit. And this is the, uh, the old uh, thing, Jim Elliot. He is no fool who trades that which he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who trades that which he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. You can't keep your wealth. You can't keep anything, actually, in this world, but you're going to die. You can't even keep your favourite your favorite jumper. You can't keep anything. You can't lose it all. But what you can get is what, what you can trade it for is what you, you can't lose. Eternity. Salvation. And so he wraps up by saying, verse 25, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So he leaves the whole thing hanging. We don't know actually how the story ended, whether Philemon agreed, or what happened. And I think it's left hanging. I wonder what happened. To direct the question back to me, to you. Are, we, are you going to get it? Are you going to respond? In your in your situation. And, you know, it could be that each person has somebody in their life, one individual, who they struggle to forgive, who they struggle to reconcile with. And no matter how many good works you do, like Philemon, uh, 
your attitude to that person is critical. And I said in the Bible, Jonathan, uh, sorry, with Saul and David, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, and all of us, I think we had some specific people in our lives, maybe just one person, whom we struggle to forgive for whatever reason. And that actually is the litmus test of who we really are. And so he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What is your spirit? The spirit is your mind. So he's saying to Philemon, look, mate, the only way you're going to do this is to have an awareness of the grace of the Lord Jesus in your mind. Somehow your whole mind, your whole spirit of life is filled with this sense of his grace, his gift toward me. That's the only way. And, you know, 2 Corinthians 3, we each with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord Jesus and are changed into that same image from glory to glory. That is bit by bit. So you imagine looking into the face of Jesus, into the eyes of Jesus. Forget the contours of his face, his skin colour, whether he had a beard or not, colour of his hair, irrelevant. But looking into his eyes, into his face, what do you see? You see grace, you see forgiveness. You see the man who died to save, who desperately wants to save you. And as you keep looking into him, that glory, as it were, shines off your face to other people. That's the idea. And of course, this all comes to its final term in the death of the Lord Jesus for us. But there in the cross, you see him in all his naked glory, in the eyes of man, the loser. I'm sure they crucified him naked because they're trying to achieve the maximum shape. There he was, covered in blood and spittle. A loser. Come down from the cross, they said. He can't come down from the cross. God's rejected him. His friends ran away. Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. Loser. But no. In the eyes of God, that was glory. That was glory. He was there with the Father, keeping a perfect mind inside that battered, battered body. And, and as we sing in our song, to buy, to buy my part. So we're going to take the uh, bread, the juice that represent his body, and his blood for me. So if anyone would like to come along to our place after the meeting, you're welcome. And uh, that'll be baptised. Let me know. We can do it. Accept Jesus. Accept his body, his blood for you. Accept this amazing grace.